Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It's Monday, and you are watching AM to DM. Okay, so it is the week leading up to the Game of Thrones premiere, and a lot of y'all have been catching up on, not just last season, the entire show, which is like a <laughs> decade's worth of shows. Here's a tweet from one of those people. Dan, you tweeted, in order for me to catch up on Game of Thrones, I need to watch three episodes a day. Wish me luck. Ooh, all men must die. <laughs> that's I don't know a lot of game, for you, Dan. That's a lot of Game that of Thrones. That is a lot of Game of Thrones. I like what you just said. It's decades of decades. That is a lot. <laughs> oh is. my goodness. It really is. Could you imagine? Like, that's one to have that time in your life. Well, you know. Two, we don't know Dan's life. <laughs> two to invite that trauma yeah. into your life. Because it is a dark show. It's a dark show. Sometimes it's traumatic. Sometimes those episodes are boring. <laughs> and what's also true, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, whatever. And then sometimes what's always true is it's dark. I just find, I don't know what it is. Are there no candles in Westeros? Like, I get that they don't have electricity. But I find often when I'm watching Game of Thrones, I'm kind of leaning. I think I have pretty good eyesight. I'm just saying that is exactly the kind of thing I used to say. And I was like, man, these shows are just getting so good. And then I had to get my eyes checked. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. For me, I really did. I almost, I hovered on it. I went to season one, episode one. Because I've heard some other wow. things that are really interesting. You can watch as their budgets obviously grow. Oh, interesting. I think there's some really cool things to like see as you go through. Uh-huh. I have, And then I was like, you know what? I, it'd be easier to catch up on the Marvel Marvel Cinematic it's Universe. Nice. And it's brighter. That's true. It's brighter. It good is. lighting. Good lighting. I thought about, and I might still do it, I thought about rewatching maybe the last season. Kind of leading in, kind of catching up, or at least the last few episodes. I do that sometimes. That seems really That's good. a little more, but three a day. Three a day is a lot. Nice thing about our job, we got to actually just talk to some of the cast members. That's true. So starting tomorrow, we'll have a different actor from Game of Thrones on AM to DM every day this week. Yep. We've got Sam, yep. Grey Worm, Gendry, and Beric Dondarrion. We've got that flaming sword. The flaming sword. They're so all we, delightful. We got some music that we made for that it. Is, I think there's some birds, some props. So watch that this week. <laughs> all right. Well, let's take it to the timeline. How are you planning on celebrating the Thones mm. premiere? Are you throwing a watch party? Mm. Like, what are you gonna do? Would you Would you throw a watch party? I don't, you know, I don't like hosting parties. Um, no, I might. Here's the thing with Game of Thrones. I don't know if it lends itself to a watch party, like a bunch of people talking in the yeah. background, you know, like it's like, who's your Game of Thrones buddy? Because you, know, you could the, get out of pace. It's all of a sudden, you're watching something, they're laughing mm-hmm. when you're crying. Right. And all of a sudden, you're like, is this the exact way I want to enjoy Arguing this over brightness settings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but let us know your plans, your strategy, you know, for dealing with it. Because you do need to have a plan. It's Sunday night. Seven days This out. is one of those shows where the spoilers philosophy is a little different. Monday mornings, people are going to want to talk about it. It's so true. be ready. All be right? Ready. That is important. Well, obviously, the city of Chicago has been in the news a lot lately. I mean, just a few examples. Last week's mayoral election, R. Kelly, of mm-hmm. course, Jesse Smollett, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not including when the president of the United States randomly decides to opine about Chicago. Yeah, it's been on the national stage. But that's the thing. It's been about these very specific, kind of very big stories. Yep. And a lot of local stories are going... Uh, underreported is a word that comes to mind, and yeah. that includes there was a heaping ton of shootings that went down right. in the city this weekend. Mass shootings, which, you know, typically, you know, are all over the timeline, rightfully so. We take gun violence very seriously, except perhaps when it takes place in Chicago, which is weird. Which, and we might know why. Here's huh. a tweet from the Chicago Tribune. Three children under 13 were among 24 people shot in a span of about 30 hours in Chicago this weekend. The warmest Weekend so far 
this year. So let's get into it. Mm -hmm. Chicago Tribune reporter Hannah Leone joins us now. Hannah, good morning. Good morning. All right. So, of course, this news uh, from your story is awful uh, and overwhelming. Even just kind of going through the length of detail in your story was kind of difficult for me this morning. I wanted to start here, though. Is it fair to say that this version of gun violence in Chicago is not getting enough national attention? To be honest, I read mostly local news about Chicago, so um, I'm not probably the best person to answer that question. Um, but if something has not been uh, reported widely nationally, that's not because they're not covering it here locally. We have reporters from uh, multiple publications, you know, newspapers and um, websites covering this on the ground every day. Every day. That is very great answer there. Basically just saying, listen, I can't speak to the national, but local, we are covering it hard. What can you tell us about the shootings that took place this weekend? I saw one qualified as a mass shooting. Uh, who, who called it that? Uh, I believe it was in the Chicago Tribune story. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I know our story didn't call it a match again. I think that's actually a really interesting uh, topic to begin with. Um, there was a shooting this weekend. It was on Saturday evening in which six people were wounded. Two of those were young children. There was an eight-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl who were both shot. Um, they were outside a house where a, a baby shower was taking place. And the details of the shooting, you know, how many gunmen there were, exactly what happened, that's unclear. Um, but what we know is that six people were wounded. And, you know, our headline was pretty much that um, it was, you know, six shot, including two children outside baby shower. Um, I think that says a lot more and adds a lot more context than just calling it a mass shooting in the headline. Um, and... I think that here in Chicago, there are so many shootings where you have three or four or more people wounded or killed. Um, if we just call them all mass shootings, that word, which is very powerful and very loaded, may start to lose its meaning. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, and that, that, that's helpful that it's like, okay, listen, if the definition is three to four shootings and we're being realistic about how local gun violence takes place, then maybe we need to think differently um something uh, well, yeah and i think too there's not there doesn't seem to be a super widespread conclusion about what qualifies as a mass shooting um i have this conversation with my editor you know and it's it's really not super clear um but i think that as much as you can use words that are more descriptive um that's probably the most the best way to get the message across is like the impact of what happened. Fair, fair. Something else I was interested in, and it was noted in the Chicago Tribune story as well, is that there is a relationship between warmer weather, and apparently this was a very warm one in Chicago, um, and gun violence. I think I understand why, but can you can explain the relationship between the two? Sure. I mean, there's the you know theory that when people are get hot headed, when it's really hot, right? Um, but it's not super hot right now. It was in the mid-60s this weekend, which is the warmest weather of the year. And what that really does is it draws people outside who have maybe been holed up, you know, during the polar vortex a couple months ago. People are just more likely to be outside at block parties, at barbecues, outside baby showers like this weekend. And so they are um, easier targets. Wow. Wow. Um, what does this mean for uh, Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot as she kind of steps again onto the national stage uh, and, and has a weekend like this? 
Yeah, I, I can't speak too much to uh, the mayor-elect who takes office in May. Um, I'm not a political reporter, but she has made it very clear that crime and specifically violence is a priority for her. So we'll have to see how this more goes. Yeah, we'll take it from there. Well, Hannah Leon of the Chicago Tribune, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. All right, and I know you've been seeing this on your timelines as well this morning, so we wanted to talk about it before we go. Netflix just blessed the timeline mm. with the first trailer for Beyonce's new homecoming documentary. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I just, you know, I am so grateful. <laughs> it looks so stunning. It does. Now, April 17th. I've seen the performance uh -huh. because you shared me your bootleg yep, version I that, that you bootleg have. Link. And you know I hate bootleg. I'm always like, we got to support. That's but right. listen, I have needed to be able to watch this on call. So, But now it's even better because it's not just the performance. It's like from conception. So mm -hmm. I think as, as Beyonce and her team are developing the idea, which was so ambitious, like now it's interesting that we can take for granted like what she accomplished at Coachella. Mm -hmm. But like she made history in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to see the story, maybe get to know all those musicians and dancers. Incredible amount of musicians, incredible amount of dancers that made it happen. That's it. I do want to know how many times have you actually watched that? Oh, um, all the way through? Yeah. Oh, probably in the teens. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, the, I don't know. The yeah. thing that stood out to me about the, the trailer, like you said, we're going to get all these behind the scenes shots, but for me, it was so many smiles. Yes. Plus you got a Maya Angelou quote as yes. over, like so all beautiful. of it was so, so beautiful. Yeah, mother, doctor, professor, Maya mm -hmm. Angelou. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. she'll still get you. Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to point out there was that tweet um, about Blue Ivy because you see, just for a moment in the clip, there we go, Beyonce <laughs> doing the choreography. Dollar tweeted, Blue Ivy is letting the girls know they got about 10 good years left before <laughs> she arrives, okay? I want to remind everyone, uh, Willow Smith, was what, 12 or 13 when she whipped that, her hair? That's true. And had all the girls shook. I think she made it onto the timeline against Adele at one point. So Blue Ivy, look. You you think it might not be 10 years. Y'all better be. <laughs> <laughs> it be might, ready. It might not be 10 years. Well, listen, we've got another great show for you this morning. You'll be seeing Saeed sit down with Regina Hall and Marseille Martin. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. Woo! All right, let's get into these fire tweets. The first one comes from Nick. You tweeted, Teacher, what inspired you to write this essay? Me, the due date. <laughs> Listen, as someone who taught high school and college, I would prefer this answer because it is way better than the whack, ridiculous answers, which always take longer than the truth, mind you, that students give you for like their ridiculously poorly thought out essay. But you've been on both sides of this fence. And Do I you? was excellent on the other side of the fence. I hit it over every time. <laughs> you don't have a memory of oh just being my like, God. no, I loved writing essays. <laughs> you were like, give me some more. Yeah, but when students are trying to lie, they're never this blunt. Like just, I love it, the due date. I just, I was doing what you told me. You were like, I'll give you extra credit yeah. points for honesty. <laughs> All right, Nathan, you tweeted, I would never, me, when I would sometimes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so I know you haven't caught up yet, so I'm going to okay. try to resist spoilers. Okay. But Sabrina is back. Uh -huh, as we know. Uh -huh, we talked to uh -huh, the cast last week. Uh -huh. um, so I watched season two twice this weekend, which, okay. And I was like, am I a Satanist? Like, <laughs> like what, do you, what do you call yourself if you're like an agnostic Satanist. You know, like, I don't think I'm down, but I was like, bitch, maybe? You're like, not against? 
I kill all of y'all. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I would sometimes, you know? I, this just makes me excited because this means we can start a two-person death metal band. <laughs> all right? I'm super stoked for it. Let us Never know what you think the, so the name of our death metal band should be using the hashtag aim to DM. Bye, bitch. That's what it'd be called. Just bye. <laughs> Hail Satan, my oh friend. Oh, my God. Hail Satan. All right, this next tweet comes from Zoe. Closes Twitter. Immediately reopens Twitter as if there might be a different <laughs> internet. Absolutely. So many times. I've been trying really hard over the weekends to just, like, get just a little bit away from it, for I'm sure. a little better. But you do get, it's, it is the pull, right? Yeah. And you're like, what What if there is something joy? What if the Beyonce trailer <laughs> is going to drop and I there's mean, something joyful to be found? True. I mean, for, to me, in Instagram, I'm just as bad, I have to admit. Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter are my two. Um, where it's like, there are times when I'm consciously closing it mm-hmm. and then I'm back in because mm-hmm. I get pulled in. But also, I feel like there are times you close it and then the next thing you know it's like open on your phone and you don't even remember <laughs> going back to it does this happen to yeah that's called addiction language <laughs> <laughs> Adam you tweeted I skip Instagram stories too fast and end up voting on things by accident so I'm sorry if I said your dog was ugly that's right <laughs> that is right an important Instagram story reminder everyone you can identify how people vote in polls, and also those AMA question mm-hmm. things, the person who are, t- they know who it is. Yes. They know who that's it is. Very, they know it's you. That's a very important it's public reminder. It's not an anonymous question. That's why I love Twitter. Twitter doesn't sell you out like that. <laughs> Twitter doesn't snitch. You do a poll on Twitter, they aren't out here telling you who answered what. I'm just giving you the information you need to make the decisions you're going to make anyway. Okay? <laughs> Tweet of the day. Let's do it. It comes from our own friend, Julia Reinstein. God help me. I just saw someone on a dating app who listed one of his simple pleasures as gentrification. Ooh. That's a simple pleasure. I want to know what his complicated right, pleasures what's your are. Complicated pleasure. Racism. Just full on. Just all the, the way. System. Just all the way. Man, could you imagine that like uh, thinking that shit's Tweet a, a picture of his profile. I want to see. Yeah, how it that's what I was gonna say. You know, yeah. I'm not for snitching, but snitch on this just motherfucker. Just a mere four minutes ago, I was talking about willing to be down with Satan, so I'm not gonna act like I'm better than <laughs> Mr. Gentrification. Bye, is coming for him. <laughs> Listen, coming up, I will be sitting down with Aya Cash from You're the Worst. But up next, we are going live from the district. I can't even... Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter, Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. All right. Okay, so let's get into the disaster. Kirsten Nielsen uh, has resigned as Trump's Homeland Security Secretary, to which I say bye. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Kirsten Nielsen played a major role in implementing the administration's immigration enforcement policies and spearheaded multiple attempts at dissuading would-be asylum seekers from crossing the border. Right? That's going to be a huge part of her legacy, whether she wants it to be or not. Um, my question, Paul, why is she out now? Well, of course, this whole child separation scandal was one of the black eyes of the Trump administration, and they're going to want to back away from that and pin it on someone so that they don't be... Hold on, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, uh, being told that she actually was fired for not being strict enough and not doing enough (laughs) to prevent asylum seekers from coming over the southern border. Sorry about that. I was just sitting here like, wait a second, what? All right, Paul, let me ask. She's been a controversial figure at the White House for some time, though, now, right? I remember in June, Trump was tweeting how much he loved her, had a lot of praise for her. Can you talk about the kind of the rocky road that led to uh, yesterday? 
Yeah, she was one of the stars of the Trump administration for a while, and she would give these uh, hearings. Uh, 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 she would show up at these uh, hearings and uh, defend the Trump border policy. And I mean, they caused a lot of waves, but Trump really stood behind her. It just seems that in these last few months, as we have continued to have a spike or well, a rise in people who are showing up at the border to claim asylum, that Trump's gone, grown more and more angry with her and basically is blaming her for not being able to stop people from coming to the United States. Wow. So, I mean, there, there's so much to get into that. Um, what does this mean for policy at the border? To put it in simple terms, is it going to be tougher, <clears throat> if that's the word you want to use, or is it going to perhaps become more mild because she's out? Well, it won't become more mild. I mean, that, that seems clear, uh, is that Trump is intent on pressuring his officials to do whatever they can to try to crack down on people coming over the border, people claiming asylum. Now, of course, the United States, according to international law, it has obligations to take in people who are claiming asylum, claiming essentially to be refugees, claiming that they would be persecuted, potentially murdered if they were sent back to their home. I mean, international law dictates you have to give those people a, a hearing to, 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 to see if this is true and whether you then have obligations to take them in. Trump isn't a big fan of that. And he, there's just reports actually coming out this morning that he is looking at reinstituting the en masse child separation policy, which, of course, famously... They initially denied they were using as a deterrent, but then admitted that they were using as a deterrent uh, to say, look, if you come here, we're going to separate you from your children. That policy, which many people believe to be the low watermark of the Trump administration, that could come back. That could come back. It seems like a good time to actually check in on the victims of that policy. Paul, what do we know about the families that were separated at the border? Oh, well, I mean, this has been a, a massive mess uh, for, I mean, it's been, there were so many, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, apologies, but I mean, with the thousands of people that were affected by this, uh, it was, it was so haphazard that actually trying to reunite these families uh, took months. Uh, it, was, it was very difficult to get complete information for whether or not people were being properly united. And part of the problem, this is, and I, I always say this because it's just so unnecessary, is that one of the first things the Trump administration did when they came into power was they essentially dismantled the system that the Obama administration set up, which was to try to keep people in the system, provide lawyers for them. They managed to get the rate so that people were showing up for their hearings, for their asylum hearings, uh, well north of 90%. I mean, the system was actually working pretty smoothly. And then the Trump administration came in, tore that down, and then created the conditions for this crisis that they then used to justify separating children from their parents. All right, well, here's a tweet from MSNBC's Kyle Griffin. Trump now has an acting Homeland Security Secretary, acting Defense Secretary, acting Interior Secretary, and acting Chief of Staff. Paul, are there any rules around this? And, and what do we know of Nielsen's replacement? Uh, I mean, it... it it looks like Congress is just essentially going to let him get away with this. This is a, a long pattern that far predates Trump in terms of Congress sort of ceding these kind of authorities. And it looks like the Trump administration is pretty content to just sit back and not have people pushed through these confirmation processes, which, you know, obviously they're a pain and that they take time from the Senate, that they're using, that could be used to, you know, 
stack the, the judiciary a little bit more. Uh, you have to go through confirmation hearings, which can be contentious. Nominees can fail. I mean, Republicans don't have that big of a majority in the Senate. These mo- nominees can go down. So the Trump administration has basically said, uh, we're not going to bother. And I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know is the short answer. I don't know how uh, long this list of acting cabinet members can go uh, before, before something breaks here, if it ever does. Yeah, I, I want to point this. This is not a compliment, but something I've noticed about the Trump administration is that the way Trump and his administration behaves often kind of exposes things that I just thought like had to happen or were requirements were actually strong suggestions. So like, at any point, can they ever get in trouble for having too many, you know, acting uh, secretaries, or can they just do that kind of as long as they want? I believe they can do it as long as they want. Now, I mean, this is the thing, is that so much of our system is not based off of laws or rules. It's based off of norms. And we've, you know, you see what happens when people just ignore norms. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone basically says, well, you can't do that. And, of course, you can't do it until someone does. And then you can do it. And that's what we're seeing. Wow. Well, uh, here's a tweet from Zoe Tillman about another important story. A nationwide ban on bump stocks, the device used in the Las Vegas mass shooting to turn semi-automatic weapons into machine guns, is set to take effect now that the Supreme Court has denied a request to delay it. This is huge. This is huge. That shooting in Las Vegas took place uh, the second week of AM to DM. So that is September of 2017. Now this is happening. Uh, How did the Supreme Court reach that decision? Well, essentially, they declined to hear this appeal. So <clears throat> this challenge to the bump stock ruling had been had already uh, failed a few times at the lower court level. And they were uh, looking to have an injunction, essentially, uh, to, to delay this ruling going into effect. And the Supreme Court uh, just flat out said, we're, we're not going to, we're not even going to entertain that, which means that the ruling will go into effect. And as you say, this is a long time coming. This is, uh, I mean, months and months and months of Congress saying this isn't up to us, the administration can do this on their own, and the administration saying, well, actually, Congress has to do something. I mean, the amount of buck passing has been wild, but finally, finally, the one piece of non-controversial gun control legislation that Republicans and Democrats all agree on it took this long to get this enacted, but here we finally are. But here we are. Will the ban go into effect immediately? Yeah, I believe it's it's uh, it's immediate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there might be, I'm sorry, there might be a few days, but it's it's very. It's either now or very very soon. I don't even know how to process good news anymore. Right. Great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. We're gonna Wonderful. we're gonna hold on to that. We're gonna hold on to it right here and say thank you so much for something, joining us. Something. Oh. Yeah. Don't ask anything else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Just exactly. Bye. We're just gonna. Oh, okay. <laughs> Up next, I sit down with actor Aya Cash from You're the Worst and Fosse Burden. Hmm. Stay tuned. I'm excited about. I brought my hands. Welcome back. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Aya Cash. You know her from You're the Worst, and now she'll be in FX's upcoming series, Fosse Verdon. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming on. Uh, listen, You're the Worst, like, just ended. Fosse Verdon is, like, just about to start. Did you want to take a break? Um, I'm an actor, uh, so uh, I don't choose my breaks. <laughs> they just happen for long, extended periods um, out of my control. So no, no, I don't want to take a break. <laughs> you were like, I'm just happy to be making the rent, Isaac. Absolutely. Are you having so much fun with Fosse Verdon? Is that just like a wonderful character? For those that don't know, what, what, what's it about? 
Fosse Verdon's about uh, Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, who were a couple, but more than that, they were um, creative partners. She was really his muse, and people sort of know Fosse, but they don't know, you know, jazz hands. But they don't uh, know Gwen Verdon, who was just as sort of influential in style and creativity. Okay, we, we actually, we have a clip of you with your co-star, Michelle Williams. Well, I haven't seen anything yet. Well, let's take a look. Now you can watch it. Let's see how you do. Neil and I, it's different than you and Bobby. We're not competing. Bob and I aren't competing. When we first started going together, Neil came to see me dance at one of Martha's shows. At the party afterwards, all the attention was on me. No one even looked at him. This was before Neil was Neil. I had to make a point of introducing him. This is Neil Simon. He's a phenomenal young playwright. All right. Tell us about your character. You did great. You killed it. <laughs> um, uh, I play Joan Simon, who was Neil Simon's wife, uh, and she was a former dancer. Thank God, former, because uh, Aya Cash does not dance. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm in Fosse Verdon! So, uh, but she's also Gwen Verdon's best friend. Um, and so I get to work with Michelle. Okay, hang on a second. I want to talk a little more about the <laughs> I Can't Dance. Was that something you tried to get, no pun intended here, but keep under your hat? Were you oh, like, no. I'm going to read up front, were you like... Everybody knows. I mean, you, know, you can just see me walk and know that I don't have a lot of grace. <laughs> I Zumba. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what they were looking for. I'd worked with the director of Fosse Verdon before. Uh -huh. So, uh, and yeah, he knew. He knew, he knew it wouldn't be a good idea. I was in a number at one point that was sort of like a dream sequence, and um, I I was taken out. But but before <laughs> rehearsals started, uh, they were just like for other reasons. Who knows? I'm gonna say other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What was it like working with Michelle Williams? So dreamy. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes you work with people who you admire from afar, and then you're like up close, meh. <laughs> um, she's the opposite. I mean, she she really is even more special in person, both mm -hmm. as a human and as an actor. You, you just had a, such a wonderful time. Uh, was there something in particular that drew you to the role? If you were like, listen, I'm not dancing. <laughs> um, I think the wig. No, uh, the, <laughs> I, I mean, I do. I was really excited to do something of that period, and I was uh, really excited to do something in that world. You know, I'm a, I'm a theater creature, mm. a theater girl, um, uh, as we say, and you're the worst. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I just really wanted to be a part of this with all these theater legends, both about and on screen. That's incredible. Uh, also, executive produced by Lynn manuel um, Miranda, speaking of theater legends. Uh, what's it like working with him? <laughs> uh, well, I actually didn't get to work with him on this. I met him through Tommy um, Kale, who is the director who also directed Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to hang out with him so much on this, probably because he has a restraining order against me. <laughs> or should. <laughs> my husband, uh, since I saw In the Heights, that was always my celebrity crush. So um, I claim him before Hamilton. That is all right. All right. Excellent. Excellent. But let's talk a little bit about You're the Worst. Are, are you sad to be, to be be moving on? No, I'm so happy. 
No, I'm very sad. It's horrible. It was the best job of my life with the best people, and um, I'm I'm super sad it's over. I know you guys had Chris on last week. We did. He seemed delightful. Yeah. Is he actually that delightful? (laughs) Is he the worst? He's an actor. Is he the worst? No. (laughs) We're all really good friends. I I had uh, lunch with him the day before, um, and... uh, He's, they're my best friends. So do you think sad. you do you think you guys will stay in touch? Do you have no? A- I like to cut it off immediately. <laughs> Look, and you're not giving me anything on screen. You get nothing off. No, I, I, we're already still in touch and hang out. So do you have like a favorite memory? Like when something because it was five seasons, right? Like that's a large part of your life. Yeah. Uh, do you have any favorite memories? Like kind of like that you're already finding yourself nostalgic for. I mean, you know, when we did the pilot, when we didn't know if it was going to be a series or not, we all went out and partied our asses off. And this is before anybody had kids and before anyone stopped drinking, before anyone, you know, we, we, we like had this incredible week and, you know, I hadn't quit smoking at the time. And I remember saying, I think I'm smoking more than I'm breathing at <laughs> 7 a.m. after we'd finished the pilot and partied all night. We had some great, wonderful times that you can only really have when you're young and, and don't know where your next job is. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun and the fun had changed over the years as people got families and we all sort of calmed down, but it's just been the dreamiest job ever. Kind of the through line that I'm finding throughout this whole conversation is you as, like you said, like a theater kid kind of being a part. Is Do you feel like you've kind of succeeded in capturing the dream that you that you set out to attain? Yeah, well, I wanted to work at Oregon Shakespeare Festival, so no. <laughs> but, you know, my dreams were very different as a little, as a, you know, theater nerd. I wanted to be doing Shakespeare and regionally and traveling the world and delivering the bard's work. <laughs> to the masses. But, you know, it was a different path. Uh, and I still get to do theater, and I still, I, I can't imagine. I'm, yeah, hashtag blessed with all of it. <laughs> yeah, that said, Portland, I mean, I'm sorry, where, it's in Ashland, right? Yeah. The Oregon Theater. Yeah. That said, you know, come on, there's still yeah. time. And they're incredible. I would still totally work there. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much thank for you. coming on the show this morning. Fosse Verdon premieres on FX tomorrow at 10 p.m. Definitely don't miss it. Up next, Stephanie is talking with the founder and CEO of Mogul. And I don't... This is Lady Sulid, and I am joined by the founder and CEO of Mogul, Tiffany Pham, who has a new book for kids called Girl Mogul out right now. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. So can you tell us a little bit about Mogul? Yeah, of course. Mogul is an organization that helps people achieve their goals and realize their full potential, thus enabling all of society to reach its full potential. We're one of the largest female millennial platforms worldwide, in fact, providing an app, Mogul app, as well as web, mobile web, emails, socials, and books and events that enable, again, everyone, women especially, to achieve their goals and realize their full potential. But within the company, we're actually a B2B software company. We license technology to Fortune 1000 companies in the form of talent acquisition software, to webinars for learning and development, and also employee engagement resources that ultimately enable these Fortune 1000 companies to attract, retain, and advance diverse talent, the same talent within our community. And for every dollar that we earn, we've partnered with incredible organizations like the United Nations to provide free educational resources to girls and women in need so that ultimately millions of women around the world can receive free educational resources. It's such an interesting idea and concept for a company. How did you come up with it? 
I came up with the idea when I was 14 years old because I was inspired by my grandmother, who was just a mogul herself, an incredible woman running businesses across Asia, working to provide others in need with information and opportunities. And I wanted to be just like her growing up. And when I was 14, the day that she passed away, I made a promise to her that I would do everything I could to follow in her footsteps, and I would dedicate my life too towards providing others in need with information and opportunities. That is so beautiful. I'm sure she is looking down on you proudly. And you have a new book, Girl Mogul, which is up on the screen. Yes. Uh, it's specifically geared towards young women, young girls who want to become entrepreneurs. What is your advice for these Gen X people who are coming up who want to be entrepreneurs but don't know where to start? Yes. So much advice. <laughs> First and foremost, in Girl Mogul, I talk to young women about developing that inner confidence, believing in yourself, looking and feeling your best, and also starting to fail forward. This is a big mindset that I developed as a child growing up as well. <clears throat> when I was little, my father encouraged us to fail forward. So long as we were learning, we were succeeding. So this is a mindset I try to teach other young women in the book, to not be afraid of trying because they're trying to be perfect at the beginning, but to be bold and courageous and brave and going for it. And so long again as you're learning, you're succeeding. Beyond that, and then go into building your community. Especially when you're in high school, you're sometimes being bullied, you're sometimes not having the best friendships. And so as a result, I talk about how to build those wonderful relationships, how to build your wonderful relationships with mentors who will be the biggest influences in your life, the ones who will support you in your career, your personal, professional growth. And I actually share my exact templates that I used when I was in high school. Now, I reached out to my biggest role models in life and got them to respond 100% of the time and actually get tea with me, get on phone calls with me, and actually give me life-changing opportunities. So I actually share my exact secrets for how to do that, which is really helpful, as you can imagine. And then finally, I go into how to identify your purpose, your passion, your why, even within high school, as I had by age 14. And then from that, be able to crush it at work, build your life of dreams and ultimately um, be able to find your place in the world. That is so fascinating. And you mentioned talking about finding a mentor. And I think one of the things I've seen in the media a little bit and I've talked about with other women in the workplace is it could be hard to find a strong female role model in your workplace. You know, there's not as many uh, women in high power positions as men. And sometimes there can be a feeling of competitiveness, like only one of us can win. How do you find a good mentor as a young woman in the workplace? That's a really good question. And I think in generations past, that might have been the mentality, but in now more recent generations, Gen Y, Gen Z, that's no longer the case as much. And so now as a result, women are in the frame of mind of realizing that by supporting other, we all rise together. And so there are a lot more role models to now turn to that maybe in the past weren't there and it's available. But nowadays it's, it's there and you can turn to someone in your workplace to ask for the support, their sponsorship, their mentorship. And maybe it's not within your company itself. Perhaps it's in other parts of the industry, other companies as well. I personally think that a mentor is anyone from whom you can learn from. So I see my direct reports as mentors. I see my peers, fellow founders as mentors. I see those incredible role models as mentors, but I see everyone as mentors. So I encourage everyone to look at everyone around you as a potential mentor, not just one specific workplace or, or more. 
That's a great idea. Look out besides your immediate workplace and try to find inspiration from all different types of people. I think that makes us all more well-rounded. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Girl Mogul is available in stores now. Up next, you're going to see Saeed's interview with the stars of Little, Marseille Martin and Regina Hall. Hello, my queens. We have such a treat for you today. You know, I have not stopped talking about the movie Little, and we have Marseille Martin and Regina Hall here to talk about it. It's out on Friday, April 12th. How are you both doing this morning? We're doing great. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. Uh, we're honored. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so with Little, you became the youngest person ever to executive produce a feature film. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> How do you feel? Do you feel grown? No, <laughs> I, I don't at all. I'm still regular old me, you know, but I do feel supportive. You know, I do feel the love and support around and just the amazing people such as Regina and Issa Rae just guiding me. You know, it's fun. It's fun to see what they get to do and inspires me in so many ways. I love it. I saw you two Image Awards. Congratulations yeah, as well. Yeah, thank you. And I saw y'all like hanging out, chit-chatting with Beyonce <laughs> and Jay-Z. What are those... Moments like? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we just go way back with Beyonce. <laughs> it's like, That's the crew. Those are yes, the homies. Yes, and Like, they're amazing, you know? It's, it's great. It's a great feeling to have. That's no. so funny. I love it. Um, well, in the movie, you play a terrible boss. We're just saying something in 2019 because people are wilding out here, girl. I know. Was it, I know. Were you just absolutely delighted when you found out, one, you're going to get to play like a mean, ruthless mm. character, but also get to work with Marseille? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I was so excited uh, when I first heard about the project that uh, Marseille pitched it and, and was going to star in it and produce it. And I just, she was 10 then. <laughs> um, so you were 10 years old at the time yeah. you wrote the pitch. Yeah. Incredible. She was 10 years old. And then, um, obviously, to watch the movie come to life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's such a delight. She's so talented. And it's also joyful. Like, I thought it was yeah. a, the moment the trailer came out, I, was, I found myself watching it, like, five times. Like, oh, it was a movie, yeah. you know? Just made Well, I love smile. playing a monster. I will yeah. say that. <laughs> Is it fun? Is it fun playing a monster? It was. It was. Okay. Did I take it too far? Someday. In some way. <laughs> on some, some days yeah. on set, was I? Were you, yes. like, way cut? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, she had her moments. But it's, <laughs> we're, it, we're, it, we're done with it. Yeah, we're right. What's out there is out there. Screaming. Screaming. Yeah, I love it. So okay, well, speaking yeah. of fun, uh, and I never thought I would get to talk to a 14-year-old about this, but you have some very handsome co-stars in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and your character is a kid flirting with her teacher, Luke. Like, wh how, what was that like? Okay. Because um, <laughs> Justin Hartley looked shook. <laughs> well, you have to think about it in like several ways. Well, mm -hmm. a lot of people when they saw the trailer were like, but she's a kid. Why is she flirting with a grown man? But I'm an adult in yeah. the film. In, so, there. A woman. in there, I, 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 in there, I'm a woman. <laughs> but it, it was lots of fun to work with them. I'm not gonna lie. When I saw the script, I was like, "Oh, well, <laughs> who added that?" Yeah. You know. But when I saw that, I got to work with Justin Hartley and Luke. It was fun. It was really fun, and they made it comfortable for me, and I made it comfortable for them. And we started talking about uh, just life things and just mutual friends, and it was fun. And they made it not weird, you Good. know. So it was Good. fun. I love it. Something else that's fun in the movie is watching how over time I, 
you're able to see one another in it. You know, I can see you being her. I can see you in that childlike version. Did you talk about, like, this is how you're going to play adult me or vice versa? Is that something you thought about? We, uh, well, we Tina did. talked to us, and we talked about certain mannerisms mm-hmm. that we would both do like so that it would be a through line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like the little, the per- little Yes, and facial, uh, there was a facial expression yeah. that we... Yeah, that we did. Yeah. You summed that really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And then she would watch my scenes. Yeah. I would watch hers just to get the little tips of what she would do. Yeah. Because like like me, if you guys like watch uh, films like I do, I see the little details in things. Yeah. Well, you know, something I, I mean, I admire your work so much. And I have been just so delighted to see you grow up. Um, Growing up is something we're always doing. Like it's not over. I'm 33 years old and I feel like I'm still a kid sometimes, you know? So I wanted to ask you both. Was there like a, a piece of advice that really helped you break through in your life that someone was like, this is what you need to know about being an adult in the world? And is there some advice you've gotten, you know, in the last few years? Well, it's kind of hard because me being a 14-year-old, you don't know if, you know, you're still a kid, but you're also a teenager too. So people right. don't know how to like look at things right. when you're in this age. So just talking to people like Tracy Ellis mm-hmm. Ross, the people I work with, and just amazing people that I get to look up to and that I get to see every day um, gives me the advice that I need. Yeah, you're clearly surrounded by really great people. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think for me, it's just been how, like, you know, it's been a couple of things. Some have been about, like, how quick time goes. You know what I mean? That time is, that, that time, it happens quicker than you think. And so I definitely have experienced that. And then just, um, being okay with not knowing, mm. you know? You have your plan, life has its plan. And, you know, kind of being able to um, just, you know, kind of like an ocean. You ride the waves of the ocean, not against it. So life is, you know, because it's because it goes so quickly, I think, you know, just kind of enjoying whatever part of life you're in. I love it. Um, Jordan Peele recently said something pretty interesting about, you know, us and, and his own movies where he was like, listen, he doesn't really see the need to cast another white guy in the lead. He's mm-hmm. like, I think they've got it. <laughs> yeah, They're cool. Movie, right. right. And you were both, you know, black women uh, doing great work, working with incredible people. Is that something that's been on your mind in terms of the projects you want to work with where you're like, I want to find opportunities to work with more women, more people of color in front of and behind the camera? Yeah, of course, because you don't see that often you know I think with different like films or movies they always have a particular cast in mind and we're not always the first ones they think of so this was more of just proving that we can do it Mm -hmm. and there shouldn't be any more first or like you know with um, the amazing Black Panther and A Wrinkle in Time with those type of films they were kind of, I think they were kind of like shocked that that happened. Like, oh snap, you know? They're always shocked. They're always shocked, but it's more of, I think we have to just see more of that to where it's not like a a reality check anymore. That's like something that happens occasionally and every single day and you get to see, you know, things that happen, you know? So I think it was more to inspire people that you can do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter what you look like. You are still you. So I think that answers the question. I hope so. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. a good answer. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've done so many films, and I mean, people have asked me, do you like doing black films? I'm like, I love my audience. I love my audience because they come and support films that I do, and there's nothing 
more spectacular than that. You know, I think at the end of the day, any artist wants to do great stories, mm -hmm. great work. Um, the fact that um, we're able to see that, you know, you can cast racially diverse, uh, you can have a cast that's racially diverse and you can cast different kinds of people and you can make them black and African and that that can cross over mm -hmm. and that you can have audiences of all races now start to see that. I mean, I think it used to be that they were always afraid those movies wouldn't translate and right. they wouldn't cross over, but I think... Especially internationally. Especially yeah. internationally, but I think now that those, those stories are, you know, proving that you can have female leads, you can have female bosses, you can have female creators and... And, and, and male too, like, you know, because it's not, they're, they're, they're amazing men out there creating content who also have an opportunity to diversify in front and behind the camera. Um, and so, and I support that too, you know what I mean? So I'm not, um, it's certainly not anti-man, but you know, it is wonderful that those opportunities can be more inclusive. Well, you both have, you know, the wind at your back. I mean, Blackish and Little, I just, already huge successes. I don't even care, girl. I'm just like <laughs> calling it and mm -hmm. Girls Trip and now Little, just, you're doing everything. I just wanted to ask you quickly, like, what are you both doing next? What can we see you in next? Uh, there's a lot of things going on, okay. but I have my production company mm -hmm. now, which is called Genius Productions. And our goal is just to create content that is relatable, that is diverse and inclusive, and something that is dear to my heart too. Like something that comes out of a mind of a child, but also can relate to adults and kids and like anybody or from any nationality or any age. So that's the goal. I have something that I'm about to, well, that's in pre-production now with Universal which is called Step Monster, and it's about family dynamics and just adding, oh, well, just having a new addition to the family after you lost one, so. Mm -hmm. All right, excited about that. Mm -hmm. And I have Black Monday, which is on Showtime. Yes, um, yeah. and it's lit. <laughs> yeah, thank you, and we just had our season finale, mm -hmm. but we will be back. Cool. And then um, Shaft comes out in June. Um, and then there are things that I've sold that are in, you know, in the works of, well, in the midst of getting written. Okay. We'll say that. Right. But that'll be out hopefully in the next two years, probably. It takes a while. It takes a yeah. while. Well, looking forward to it. Your joy and your success is really our joy and our success because you, wow. you teach us, you encolor us, and I just really appreciate it. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, thank so you. much. And it, it's wonderful to be able to be, you know, interviewed by you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Someone else representing diversity. So Hello. it's all good. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, Marseille, Regina, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Guys, Little is everywhere. April 12th, that's a Friday. Get your life. Mm -hmm. Go with your friends. We, we know what happened with Girls Trip. Don't go see it by yourself. <laughs> go with the group. Right. Yeah, thank make you it a family affair. Absolutely. More Antidium up next. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome back. Okay, so we wanted to know how you will be celebrating the Game of Thrones premiere this Sunday. What's your strategy? What are your plans? 8-Bit Lipstick says, honestly, I will be celebrating the last episode because, oh, okay, <laughs> because I will never have to hear everyone talking about Games of Thrones anymore. Okay, you know, we have to make space for people who are fed up. Other people feel that way, for sure. You are not alone, 8-Bit Lipstick. That is absolutely true. And I think some fans are even like, and now we can close the chapter on yes. this. Yes, well, then the prequel will start. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> I will You're say, like, not to rain on joy. I agree. I sympathize with people. Like, there aren't a lot of, like, 
um, water cooler shows, mm. if, th- if that even exists anymore. Mm-hmm. It used to be a thing, right? You mm-hmm. go to work and you knew that really if you wanted to pres- participate in the workplace conversation, you needed to be up on the show. I feel like this is definitely one of those shows. Right. And I, if you're not into it, that could get annoying. You're like, you know what? I hate dragons. Not my not my <laughs> speed. Miss <laughs> Carrie's had this to say about the Beyonce documentary trailer, which I will say, I hope everybody is behind. So good. Beyonce is an entrepreneurial genius and she loves us. Homecoming is the therapy we need for a horrible black history month. Oh, man. Still talking to my therapist about February. Right. Exactly. And it's like a little bit of a blessing. Yeah. It's so good. I'm so excited. I'm just thrilled. And I I saw the, we know the time, two funny things I've discovered in the the hour of the show. Um, The time for it is, uh, it'll be two hours and 17 minutes long, I believe. So that's like a full feature. Mm. Um, And that apparently some reporters have already tried to ask Netflix for screeners. I'll just let you guess how that went. Yeah, obviously Netflix really, was like, really well. Sure, you get a screener. You get a screener. Here, everybody, already in the mail. So that's that's pretty funny. You know she don't play. You know she doesn't play. Blasian FMA added. Um, I hope Netflix is ready to see the numbers, the likes of which it has never seen before, because the Beyonce film will be viewed in full at every gathering, including Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. And all the days um, of Kwanzaa <laughs> that I still can't pronounce all these years later, uh, and Imani. Um, I would add Juneteenth, which is actually way sooner. Absolutely, absolutely. It'll be at the cookout. It's kind of crazy that uh, it just occurred to me that Lemonade still isn't out in feature film form. I don't think I can even find it on the title. To watch that. It does remind me, I remember Beyonce self-titled being dropped and you and I, like when, like not only would you watch it alone, you would then go and watch it with other people. Yeah. And like, I feel like that's going to have this. Like this is, I truly believe this is going to be such a monstrous hit for Netflix. And and you're totally right because truth be told, we're talking about Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I live to see these white people die. I live for it. I get my whole life. But, April 17th is coming up really soon, too. That's the party I want to plan for. Okay? Abs- yeah, abs- Game-, Game of Thrones I'll watch alone. Fuck those dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch that alone. Beyond- yeah, that is the one that I will watch soon. multiple times. Well, thank you so much to our guests, Hannah Leone, Paul McLeod, Stephanie McNeil, Tiffany Pham, Aya Cash, Regina Hall, and Marseille Martin. That was such a wonderful conversation. Lovely, a lot lovely of dry people. humor in this show today. Yeah, Aya so Cash funny. was that. That's, Aya Cash and Marseille yeah. Martin have two of the dry senses of humor, and it's great. I right. loved it. Well, we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. It's Monday. Do the best you can, y'all, and we'll see you then. We're going to have a lot of Game of Thrones characters <laughs> for the rest true. of the week. <laughs> 